0: Back, That was a rich last session, so thank you so much. And we're moving on. This is Alexis Slutsky, and she's been a wilderness guide, um, a therapist, an educator, a mentor, has worked really uh, deeply with earth-based practices um, for many years, and particularly with Council work for a, um, a number of organizations actually, and maybe you can share some more um, but she's going to uh, facilitate this module this session um, that is around going forth so what what is it how is it that um, Buddhist environmental chaplains you know as we're sort of assembling and exploring this definition how w- w- how do we or they show up in the world um as engaged participants and uh tenders and healers and uh reconnectors or whatever it is that we're generating here unimagining so i'll just leave it with alexis yeah
1: can Hi, wow, so my name is Alexis and um, I have a a pocket full now of things from the earth and one is a stone that came from, I don't actually know, maybe under the redwood tree in the front of this building, but um, this stone here, hmm? farther farther away, okay, and then the other things that I... Gathered in my pocket at lunchtime, and I and I found that through my 20s and my 30s, whenever I would move, and I moved a bunch of times, in, in during my life, and um, I would always end up with big boxes of, of rocks and and sticks and and acorns, and and you know the, the mice would like the acorns, so I, I drew the mice in unintentionally into my world. But the acorns here from that tree out front, and um, so glad that. The Ohlone, the first peoples of this land, have been brought here into our awareness and remembrance. And um, I come from Santa Barbara, which is south of here, most people know, and the Chumash territory and we have many oak trees. And um, I, you know, fell in love with oaks a long time ago and one story that somebody told me was that one oak tree would feed a Chumash family for a year. The harvest from one tree, and that kind of intimacy of relationship with one tree. And um, recently, walked to the park near my house. I, um, I'm jumping right in here. <laughs> it's like, here's my context. Um, but walking to my house, where I live in Santa Barbara, right next to a hospital. So so appreciated, just that session. I am still with it in a really deep way, with what got moved with us through the day. So thank you to everybody um, for opening this time. And as I was reflecting on my context, you know, what context am I practicing in? And, And currently I live a block from the biggest hospital in Santa Barbara, which, you know, for other cities might not be that big, but Cottage Hospital is a relatively large hospital and they're growing it and running out of capacity to um, accommodate people there. And I would say that in the past year, the activity in my block and in that hospital has escalated. And generally, I track the activity and have found that the helicopters increase in in numbers um, around the full moon. And so being kind of in that web of the natural cycles, but also um, the last six months, there's been so much activity in that area. Um, so uh, I know this is not, maybe it wasn't, it was named, it's, it's, it's implicit if it wasn't explicit, but mental health and well being of so many, you know, of those that have voices to speak and those we're listening to and those that we're not. And I want to share a little bit about why I think I'm sitting here, a little bit about why I'm here, and and then open the space up um, going forth. And um, I drove up here yesterday with a friend of mine of 30 years and, you know, sharing about the context of this day, and she started to ask me questions about my journey with the natural world. And, um, and you know, she said, how did you, how did you kind of begin that relationship? And first of all, I'm from Santa Barbara. And I'm a white, you know, woman, and I actually grew up in a relatively comfortable um, way in Santa Barbara, and I am so grateful for that. That's also my context, and so I knew the ocean and the mountains from from young time, um, but it wasn't until after I would say my college years, and I and I went to UCLA. I wanted to get, you know, wanted to experience city life. And uh, But during that time in the city, it was so overstimulating for me. I was one of those over-the-hill, holy moly, I don't know how to do that over-the-hill thing. I'm not, I'm not having grown my capacity for, to tolerate, to hold, to bear witness um, to the kind of realities and suffering there. So I would take myself to the desert um, on the weekends and go to Joshua Tree. And... Um, Someone was speaking of mushrooms. <laughs> um, there were lots of allies, you know, in in the, in, the, in that realm, but also just in the in the night sky and the you know the um, the opportunity to be um, with such little distraction and to move from the city out into the desert, and uh, so that started to grow something in me. And um, the brief the brief story is that. Just after I graduated, I was in a, in a mountain biking accident and, and hurt my knee and, oh no, I'm living in a tent in Colorado and I can't be on crutches in the tent, you know, and so I, I took myself back to Santa Barbara, moved in with my parents, which was the first of many times that I moved in with my parents um, in, in my journey, and, um, but began to walk as my rehabilitation in, in, the, in the mountains of Santa Barbara. And that time, getting to know the plants, and the watershed, and where does my water come from, um, really began a, a deep sense of belonging and connection that I hadn't experienced in the human world. And I think there is so much, you know, I relate to so many things that have been spoken here today. So really grateful to hear the stories, and the wisdom, and the experiences of so many um, in this regard. Where I think those of us who maybe were drawn to environmental, it's a funny word. Speaking of language, I love that. The linguistic, um, I don't know exactly, I can't remember. Yes, that's amazing. Um, You know, in indigenous cultures, there's not a word for environment. Um, You know, it's 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 a web of relationships. So we don't speak of environment being something separate. You know, the indigenous folks, which is our inheritance of being earth-based people. Um, But that uh, often I think it's for those of us who find ourselves gravitating towards places in the natural world, we know that that's a comfortable place in the land of human. that is messy territory. Oh my goodness, that's painful and challenging. So um, that was my story, part of it. And... um, There's enough time. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to feel that the world is on fire and this delusion of urgency, and I'm feeling it in my body right now with our day and things that I want to share and the space I want to open up for all of us. And a um, couple things that I'll add here is that I brought water to put on this beautiful center altar uh, from the Winnemum Wintu people Mount Shasta, I had the blessing of being at this place just not too long ago, within the last month, and, um, and, and dear folks in my life right now today are beginning a, a journey of walking, which started three years ago um, in the Owens Valley with the Paiute uh, people walking to Los Angeles, and so three years ago, we started that pilgrimage um, in the Owens Valley, and speaking of what is our watershed? How do we know where our water comes from? And so, without n- mentioning too much about that story, we know that water is piped from the Owens Valley and piped down to Los Angeles, and not the only story like that. Many stories um, like that. So today is the beginning of the third and final phase of that pilgrimage. So um, I just want to say a, a gratitude to the to the water, and... Um, I'm feeling the water is life and there's been so much around water in this last year. So Standing Rock in Solidarity and this pilgrimage with walking water making their way to Los Angeles right now. And the waters of Mount Shasta. Thank you. And the fire is burning. Mm-hmm. so hmm. Kirsten said a little bit that i 've been at it you know I do the practice of counsel, so my journey um, i 'm curious when, i 'm always curious what 's going to come out of my mouth sometimes i, I don 't know, <laughs> and, I, and I have the prayer to be surprised in revelation, you know help it be something that 's um, true and and beautiful and um, so i 've been interested. from from a long time about how to create spaces of listening. And in our little, in our triad at this this last exercise that we didn't have time for, we had one minute. And uh, what do we do? And the thing that came out was listen, listening. Okay. Personal, listening, how do we listen here? Interpersonal, how do we listen to create those spaces of reconciliation? and systemically and with, in culture and marginalized people and places, how do we listen to see what is needed? How do we make the space for every voice? And so the, the process, when I came out of the wilderness, I came into a community of people that were sitting in a circle and listening to each other. And for me, you know, a little bit scared of human beings, way more comfortable, with the mountain lion um, that I just had the blessing of seeing this year for the first time, actually, even though I knew they were out there. So uh, Betsy, the mountain lion, there you are. Um, but that, that forum of being able to have a, have a forum for, for a deep listening here, a deep listening in community, and a deep listening to the wider circles of life and to, to really be in the inquiry of, of um, how, do we, how do we speak what serves all those layers of being, and make space uh, for, for listening to what might not be heard. So I've been getting informed by what's come before me, which I think is a, is a tenet. It's, a, it's like a, someone spoke about the vulnerability and being willing to be open and vulnerable to, to be moved. And, um, and I took a couple notes, and I just want to look to see if there's anything I want to say before jumping. Um, Mm. So much beauty before. Yeah, I was just thinking about the names of places on my way here as I drove through and saw Robin Williams, you know, um, tunnel, but things that memorialize, you know, and and I saw a name of a place, a name of a road, and I thought, I wonder if that's an Ohlone word. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I hope so. Um, And then I saw another name of a road and it looked like Arguello and I thought, oh, maybe that's from the Spanish, you know, that part of the colony story and how to bear witness to places um, and names and um, wondering what the name of this place is, Redwood City, where I haven't been before, but to see a beautiful redwood here and to imagine what the people would have heard and named that tree um, with the sounds and the, the way that that tree smells in the sun, sitting and having lunch there. Well, so I shared about the the limitations of English language and particularly talking about environmental Buddhist chaplaincy when we're really trying to point towards something. And the Buddha talked about that, the limitations of language. And I think I find myself there. And I know that I, I hope that the inquiry keeps building so that the new words have space that English, being a language primarily, I understand, of commerce and war, um, gets to be hydrated, that we hydrate the language so that we have more opportunity to speak about things that, um, that we care about and that we love. Jeanette Armstrong is an Okanagan activist and writer, and she, in her language she says that the, the, the way that uh, the definition of people, how the, how the languages of people, the ones who are dream and land together. The ones who are dream and land together. How do we live remembering that that's who we are in our language with each other? And it's been spoken in this room, and I know... Um, the, the honor and gratitude to teachers and mentors, Joanna Macy's work, Despair and Empowerment, and Martine Prechtel, Grief and Praise, and another teacher of mine, Dina Metzger, From Grief to Vision, and how we metabolize this very real suffering and very real grief that I know me, just in the last hour, gets activated in my body. How do we metabolize it and go forth? And part of, I think, what going forth is, is having the space to be able to be with that, to breathe with it, so that we can move forward with wisdom and compassion, and not caught in our own. What happens with our bodies and our minds when we are stuck with fear and hatred and delusion and grief? And um, and so much of our grieving is done in private. in this culture, thank you for that, yes, in our shared context of Western culture. And in other cultures, wow, every week some cultures get together to have a grieving feast, grieving and weeping and and praising the holy so that we move forward. And really, you know, I was thinking, someone spoke to me at lunch about the healing sanctuaries that are um, the healing sanctuaries that are being started around the fires—you know—that small communities are gathering and creating spaces for that, and that is so beautiful. I'm grateful for that in the face of suffering, and it also makes me sad. You know that—that that that's where we are. It takes so much to wake us up. It takes so much to wake us up, and in other cultures, indigenous cultures, Martine Prechtel talks about, you know. You can Crisis will happen, but we create crises in ritual. We create crises in ritual so that we have the opportunity to remake our relationships all the time and remember that. Remember how to remake relationships and, and shelter and clothing through ritual. So, mm. so much to learn. So humbled. So humbled in this room so grateful. Um, Yeah. May may we not have to wait for too many bigger and bigger crises. Um, So, going forth. What I would love, what I'd love to do is, is share a little bit about the practice of counsel. And uh, it's a really simple process and a simple practice, and we know it and we're doing it. It's already happened. We've already been in that practice all day um, of listening, and some of you know this practice in particular, and um, so forgive me if you do. And that word, council, you know, is is familiar now for me because my mom worked as a lawyer in Santa Barbara in the land use department, and they had the city council and the county council. She was a part of the county council, you know, group, and... um, so the count, there's many different kinds of councils. And um, looking at two council Carrie? Yes. yes. C-I-L. 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 Yes. Thank you. It has a different meaning. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, C-I-L in this practice, and the, the way that I, the first time I heard that word, I think spoken in, in context on this land was with the Iroquois nation, the Huad Nasani, and the Grand Council. Um, that our forefathers, because they were mostly men, um, witnessed those grand councils of the Native American people in the East East Coast area and witnessed the way that every voice had a place and the way that these councils moved with a really um, deep reverent listening. So the Grand Council of the Iroquois and... um, This practice now that I have been, um, that's been shared with me, came through a relationship with the Ojai Foundation and um, folks there. As I said, I came out of the wilderness and sat down on the earth with a bunch of people who were willing to speak the truth and be vulnerable. And that was revolutionary for me at that time. And the first councils I sat in, all I did was cry for about two years, probably. Took a little time. So, uh, This feels so funny to sit here and hold this thing and (laughs) oh my goodness, learning curve. Um, So I'm going to jump in and share a few of the the tenets and then we're going to engage the practice. Um, Briefly, speaking from the heart, speaking from our own experience. Listening from the heart, listening without judgment, compa- you know, listening with compassionate ears. It's how we ho- aim to practice with ourselves and our relations, all our relations. It's a practice. It's the first time that I experienced meditation practice. I sat many long retreats at Spirit Rock early in the day, and when I came to counsel, it was, oh, this is meditation in community. I'm engaging the same practice. I'm breathing, I'm listening, I'm watching where I get caught or stuck or in my own delusion or mind or fear and coming back to the present moment so speaking from the heart listening from the heart and being lean knowing that we want to give space for as many voices as possible speaking to just the essence of what needs saying that is very culturally culturally relevant and specific in some places i wouldn't say that Some people talk in stories and that's important and necessary and we leave space for that if that has to happen as well. But there's also a recognition that it is a gift to offer our listening. So thank you for yours. It can be exhausting. What a day. Full. And the last thing is to be spontaneous. Is to not plan what we're going to say. And that's also a practice with these very, very busy minds. So um, it's not a lot about going forth. Have you noticed? <laughs> um, so we're going to use this form to harvest the collective wisdom in this, in this room for that. And um, um, yeah, so actually maybe I can, I can get eight people to help and bring eight chairs into the center of the room. We're going to shift the form. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. I would have done that.